the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team. <laughs> Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. If you'd like to do a uh, song from a Broadway show, the show is Paint Your Wagon, and the song is I Talk to the Trees. I talk to the trees, and they never listen to me. I talk to the stars, but they never hear. Time to stop and hear what I hear say. What I, say. I, talk to them all I talk to them all in vain. But suddenly, my suddenly, someone else's ears. Stupid song. <laughs> Every time that I that I hear you sing that song, I think it, boy, what a stupid song. Yeah, you think it, but you really pick a fine time to tell me about it. Well, I wanted to surprise you. No, you succeeded. You surprised me. But for your information, 
Talk to the Trees is not stupid. It's, it's from a hit Broadway show entitled Paint Your Wagon, which was a great show. A lot of great songs. Paint Your Wagon? <laughs> it's yeah. a stupid, sounds like a stupid show and a stupid song. And it's a dumb, and anybody connected with a show or a song like that has yes. got to be a stupid, dumb, weirdo freak. All right, I agree with you. The show happens to be about a young man very much like yourself. Maybe I spoke a little hastily. It's about a young man very much like my brother. He's young and shy and bashful, very timid. But he's so much in love. That, that makes everything all right. He was so much in love, it was his first love. But he was so bashful that he was afraid to tell his sweetheart that he loved her and she knew not of his love. But he had to tell someone or something because it, this frustration, this terrible feeling was building up within him. And... Finally, he did a very beautiful thing. He went out to the Did he tell country. her that he loved her? No. He never did. He wished he could. He wished he had the courage to walk up to her and take her by the hand and look deeply into her eyes and say very simply and truthfully, I love you. I love you very much. And I only hope that one day you may grow to love me half as much as I love you right now. I will. Because I... <laughs> That's just enough. But he couldn't do that. So one day he went out in the countryside and he tried to communicate with Mother Nature's wise old trees and, and talk to these trees and tell these marvels of nature, these wise old trees of his great love. You guys love, are real nut. <laughs> no, he's not a nut. Sneaking off into the forest to talk to the trees. <laughs> Tommy, that's not what he did. Hi there, Mr. Tree. How are you? How's Mrs. Tree? All the little bushes. <laughs> guy like that would talk to a fire hydrant. Fire Hi there, Firehide. I've just been talking to this big old tree over here. <laughs> Certainly have a lot in common, you two. <laughs> All right, now that is just enough. Tommy, don't you understand at all? Just a second. Hi there, Stage. Used to be a tree, didn't you? <laughs> you are a very shallow, callow individual. You have made fun of this song. You haven't even tried to understand. Who's your fat friend? You used to be a tree, didn't you, Patty? <laughs> Will you leave my base See alone? You you hang around with the wrong type of people? Shut up! You really should be proud of yourself. Really, you should be very proud of yourself. You stood up here and you ridiculed me. You ridiculed this song. You ridiculed a wonderful show. And, it's, and you think everybody's proud of you out there. You think they're all looking up there and say, Oh, why? Isn't he a sharp, clever boy? No, they're all staring at you. They're staring and wondering. And they, you know what you've shown them? You've shown them how crass, how shallow, how unfeeling an individual can be, how totally void of any poetic beauty in your entire makeup, your entire soul. You didn't understand the song? You ridiculed me and you've come down a, a notch or two. That's you, all I've got to say. You, you what? Oh, yeah? Yeah. I don't care what you do now. You didn't like, go ahead. You talked, you talked mean to me and, and you said that I didn't have any sensitivity and I was a crass, shallow person. I happen to be a person too, Dickie, and I have sensitivity and I have feeling and I have love in my heart. I'm sensitive to every little blade of grass that grows. But I wouldn't talk to him. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. And uh, this hour, we're going to talk about a uh, new report from Greenpeace called the Climate Emergency. Well, it's titled The Climate Emergency Unpacked. And uh, it talks uh, primarily about um, business links uh, between global companies like Coke, Pepsi, Nestle, and others with the fossil fuel industry and the proliferation of plastic as it shows up in uh, various places polluting the planet. And to talk about that, joining me by phone this hour is uh, a senior plastics campaigner with Greenpeace, Lisa Ramston. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Um, Let's talk about this report, the Climate Emergency Unpacked. Makes it sound like uh, plastic is the the primary cause of uh, the climate emergency, but despite the fact that there are a lot of things that contribute to climate change, plastic is a big problem. How big? So if plastics were a country, they would be the fifth largest emitter of greenhouse gases in the world. Um, So it's definitely a significant problem. Um, Plastics actually emit more greenhouse gases every year than from aviation and shipping combined. So um, these these companies that you mentioned, Coca-Cola, Nestle, and Pepsi, they are helping to fuel the climate crisis. Now, we're hearing a lot uh, because... President Biden was uh, just returned from uh, Scotland and and a couple of conferences related to climate change. And um, I I guess what what I'm wondering is if some of the suggestions made in this report were followed by some of these big companies like Coke and Pepsi, um, would even a little bit of adjustment help slow down the urgency as we work toward uh, getting rid of these things altogether? Yeah, I think we need to start shifting away from plastics and away from fossil fuels as quickly as possible. But if we can even start with a little bit, that will help more than anything. Um, but we, you know, we are acknowledging that plastics are a driver of climate change like many other things in this world, and and it's something that shouldn't be ignored and it should be addressed quickly, especially since we have a readily available solution to the plastics crisis. Well, my radio show is based in Flint, Michigan, and I think everybody in the world knows about the problems we've had over the last decade with our municipal water system. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that... um, there were literally pallets of plastic water bottles on everyone's porch for a year or two. And we started wrestling with what to do with the plastic bottles once the water had been consumed. And a a Flint local came up with a brilliant idea to uh, recycle the plastic and make um, frames for eyeglasses. Mm -hmm. And it it was really kind of an interesting project. But what is it that this new report from Greenpeace, the Climate Emergency Unpacked, what are the recommendations from Greenpeace uh, 
to move away from plastic. I, I can't imagine how we might have managed uh, the water crisis in Flint without the use of, of plastic water bottles. And that is super valid, and everyone deserves to drink clean drinking water. Um, one concern that we have with continuing the use of plastics, even if the plastics are getting recycled, even if we are increasing recycled content in the plastics, is that it's still really hard to make sure that those plastics aren't winding up in the environment. Um, even if they say they're going to be recycled, oftentimes they don't end up getting recycled. Um, so, and also plastics, plastics pollute at every stage of their life cycle. So when they are extracted as a fossil fuel, as gas or, or oil from the ground to when they are refined, they're polluting at every stage of their life cycle. So recycling is great, but it is not the solution to this problem. What we are advocating for and what we're calling on these large companies to do is to move away from single-use plastics as quickly as they can and switch to systems of refill and reuse. Um, and this is something that we were doing for, for decades before we switched to plastic bottles. So there are other ways to get beverages and food to people without all of this single-use plastic packaging. Lisa, what would that look like? I mean, you talk about, um, you know, fill and reuse and, and so on, and, and I've seen ways that that's done. And, of course, I, I remember <laughs> I remember glass Coke bottles in machines. Okay. And um, I, I just wonder, what would it look like? How would we manage or can we manage the same convenience using other ways of, of doing it? That's a great question. And I think that, you know, we are an innovative country. We're innovators all over the world. Um, and these companies are billion-dollar companies, and we're asking them to innovate and figure out how they can get their products to us in a convenient way that doesn't also pollute the environment and um, and communities living next to these refineries. Um, you know, there are, I'm, I'm sure you've seen this in grocery stores, you can buy the big, big jugs of water um, from the grocery stores that you take home. I think they're five-gallon jugs, and you set those up in your kitchen, and you use that, and then you take it back to the store when it's empty and get a new one. That's a really basic system of, you know, refill and reuse. And we used to get Coke in glass bottles, as you mentioned, and Coke is actually still doing those return systems in many parts of the world, just not in the U.S. right now. So it will take um, a shift. Um, there could be a bit of a, an adjustment to these new systems, but we feel like they are essential if we are to continue having a healthy environment for us to live in. More about plastic with senior plastics campaigner from Greenpeace, Lisa Ramsden, straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. 
While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. Take it away. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More about plastic with Senior Plastics Campaigner from Greenpeace, Lisa Ramsden, straight ahead. You know, we've been talking about plastic bottles and the convenience of it, but we use plastic in almost everything. I mean, dashboards of cars and... um, 
you know, control knobs on electronic equipment. I mean, plastic is everywhere. Um, what, what, what might we do to lessen that? Or, or is that the problem? Is it the one-use plastic that is the, the real culprit? You, you nailed it right there. It's the single-use plastics that are really the culprit because plastic is a very useful uh, material in a lot of different situations. But it's a problem when we have a plastic bottle or a plastic wrapper that we use for just a couple of minutes and then we throw it away or think it's going to get recycled, but it remains somewhere in the world for, for centuries. Um, so we feel like if, if we can shift away from these single-use plastics, we will put a huge dent in the plastic pollution crisis. Is it primarily beverages that are uh, the the single-use plastic villain? That is one of the big ones. Um, Coca-Cola alone um, sells about, they sell over 100 billion plastic bottles every year. And that's a huge contributor to the plastic pollution that we see and also to climate change. Um, and we also, we, we kind of focus in on the plastic bottles because there is such a readily available solution to that. You know, we weren't drinking things out of plastic bottles 60, 70 years ago. We, were, we had these glass bottles that we would return. Um, so we feel like the solution is there and there's no reason why we're not switching to that. Is glass uh, more eco-friendly? Yes, we. It is, um, especially if it can be reused. Um, we what we don't want to see companies doing is switching from one single-use material like plastic to another single-use material like glass or aluminum, because that puts a different sort of strain on ecosystems and um, resources. So we we don't want them to swap out one quick solution for another. We want them to really invest and take the time to figure out these systems of refill and reuse. How do uh, cans fit into all this? I, I was looking around and I'm surrounded by plastic, but I, I'm looking over at my uh, my soda and it's in a can. Um, are, are cans less of a problem than plastic? So one great thing about aluminum and about cans is they is that they are infinitely recyclable. Um, the problem with plastic is that it can only be recycled a couple of times before it's just not useful anymore, whereas aluminum can be recycled over and over and over again. So in that regard, it is a bit better. Um, well, I just, I, I wonder why these companies couldn't be encouraged to you know, just drop plastic and push cans and bottles more. Yeah, and again, we we are and, trying to... And I mean glass bottles. Yeah, yeah. And we're trying to get them to rethink how they get their products to us because, you know, mining aluminum does put a strain on the environment and recycling aluminum does... Um, it uses a lot of energy... So we we still feel like switching to refillable, reusable systems are the most sustainable way um, for us to to move away from plastic. Are there some other suggested uh, suggestions coming out of this 
climate emergency uh, unpacked report from Greenpeace? Honestly, I sorry to sound like a broken record here, but um, we are really advocating that they they rethink how they get their products to us and switch to systems of refill and reuse. And, you know, we are seeing this already. Um, lots of people have um, uh, systems in their homes where they can make their own sparkling water now. And some of these companies, you know, have their, they're selling their syrups so that you can make your favorite sodas at home. That's one system that a lot of people are already using and we could scale that up um, across the country. Um, we, we do feel like the solution is there. Coke can reinstitute their glass refillable bottles. And then it's, it's really a systemic change. You know, we can't just have Coke say, okay, we're going we're gonna to do refillable bottles now and everyone just needs to figure it out. We need a system change. We need to figure out how retailers and convenience stores and grocery stores can um, accept these bottle returns and make it easy for consumers and and still convenient for us. Um, how receptive are the companies to this? Because a lot of companies uh, around the United States, anyway, are are beginning to recognize and acknowledge climate change and that they have to alter their practices. They're not all sure how yet, but but we're starting to see a little bit of a shift. What about these uh, these bottling uh, facilities? That's a great question. So many of these companies have acknowledged that the plastic pollution crisis is real, that climate the climate crisis is real, and they are trying to take steps to to fix things. Um, unfortunately, the types of commitments we're seeing them make so far aren't aren't anywhere near where we'd like them to be. Um, most of them are scaling up recycled content in their products and also making sure that their products are what they call 100% recyclable, which really means that they're plastic number one or two because those are the most recyclable plastics out there. Um, and while it's a step um, in a direction, um, we still don't feel like increasing recycled content is going to prevent these plastics from winding up in our environment. And again, there's still all of the health impacts that come with creating these plastic bottles in the first place from, you know, there are communities living next to these refineries where these bottles are being made and it's not healthy for them to breathe in that air. So we appreciate that they're acknowledging that this is a problem, but we really want them to move faster away from single-use plastics. What can consumers do to um, perhaps change the demand, but but through their own behavior, are there steps they can take? In, I mean, we've we've done a pretty good job since the '60s, and I remember all the "Keep America Beautiful" campaigns <laughs> of of stopping people from just throwing plastic bottles and cans along the side of the road. But is there, aside from picking stuff up and collecting it, are there steps that people can take in, in how they get rid of these things um, that would at least make it a little better? 
Absolutely. And since you mentioned the Keep America Beautiful campaign, um, I feel like most people don't know that those were ads that were pushed by the plastics industry and um, big consumer brands. They basically were trying to put the onus on the consumers to clean up after themselves rather than taking responsibility for the products that they were creating and putting out into the environment and into the world. Um, I just think that's an interesting bit of information. But there's, there's a lot that consumers can do um, besides, you know, trying to avoid single-use plastics as much as they can, which I know is very difficult. These companies don't make it easy for us. Um, but what I like to encourage people to do is to um, talk to, you know, if, if you go to a local restaurant that is using plastic cups instead of um, reusable ones, ask them why they're doing that and ask them if they would consider going to uh, glass or reusable washable glasses. That's, um, you know, if you go to the grocery store and you're tired of buying baby spinach in, in big plastic tubs and you can't buy it um, outside of plastic, talk to the manager of the grocery store and ask them if they can get a plastic-free option. Um, you know, and if, if folks are feeling empowered, uh, call the customer hotlines for these big companies, Coke and Pepsi and Nestle, and ask them to move away from single-use plastics. If, if customers demand this enough, they have no choice but to listen to our demands. Um, you know, if, if people are savvy on social media, you know, if you see a Nestle bottle or Coke bottle out in the natural environment at some point, take a photo of it and tag Nestle, tag Coke um, on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever you use, and ask them what they are doing to tackle the climate crisis, to tackle the plastic pollution crisis, and demand that they move away from these single-use um, products. Uh, consumers have a lot of power here, and I think that if if we hold these companies accountable, they, they will eventually listen to us. How long does plastic hang around in a landfill, for example? For centuries. It's, it's much longer than it should be for something that we only use for a couple of minutes. And, and an even bigger question for me is, you know, I read about plastics in huge amounts polluting oceans. How are plastic, how is plastic getting into the oceans? I mean, I understand it piling up in landfills and so on, mm -hmm. but, but how is it making its way to sea? Yeah, so if there's a super rainy day in your city, just look at the sewer grates. A lot of times if there are any loose plastics or pieces of trash around on the city streets, those will get washed into sewer drains and then those wash into rivers and eventually those rivers wind up in our lakes and in our oceans. So that is one way um, how these plastics are getting out into the ocean. Um, and some of it might be coming from coastal communities and things like that, but it's, it's really coming from, from all over the world. Uh, these plastics are just getting washed right into the oceans. And there's the equivalent of a one dump truck every minute of plastics getting just dumped directly into the ocean. And what does it take to, to get that plastic out of there? I mean, can, can that even be done, or is this, has this done permanent damage? So unfortunately, cleaning up the plastic in the ocean is very, very difficult. 
Um, and that's why we are so <clears throat> passionate about trying to prevent these single-use plastics from existing in the first place. Um, once plastic gets into the marine environment, it doesn't stay as a whole piece of plastic for very long. It gets broken down into smaller pieces because of UV rays and the salt water and just the weather in general. So these pieces break down into smaller pieces and sometimes the plastic sinks to the bottom of the ocean and then, you know, animals end up eating it. So it's really difficult to clean this up and you know when people talk about the great pacific garbage patch for instance a lot of times they're imagining this big floating island of plastic just out in the middle of the ocean when in reality it's more like a plastic soup there are tons and tons of tiny microplastics that are just kind of floating around out there and that's really difficult to clean up so this is why we really need to turn off the tap of plastics and stop this flow of plastics from being created and then winding up in our environment. Well, big businesses um, are slow to change things. Uh, you know, even if you convince a Coca-Cola or a Pepsi or Nestle to move away from using plastic bottles, the people that supply them the plastic containers will replace them with another client uh, or, or another use. How about the manufacturers of plastic? What does it take to get them to just cut off the supply, forcing these companies to um, go to alternative uh, bottling methods? Yeah, that's a tricky question because, you know, a lot of the manufacturers um, that are supplying the oil to make these plastic bottles are the big oil companies that we're all familiar with, Exxon, Chevron, Shell, and their bottom line is, you know, getting oil out of the ground and making it into a usable product for, for companies and consumers. And they're, gonna, they're going to keep doing that until, until we force them to not. Um, so that's why we're really focusing on these big consumer brands right now because if we feel like if we get them, if we could get a couple of these consumer brands to switch to really readily available systems of refill and reuse, there would be no reason for other companies to not follow suit, and then it would decrease demand for the plastic bottles and for the oil and petrochemicals in general. Is it, um, is it likely that one of these companies will take the lead and, and set an example for the others, or is this something that really is is going to be up to consumers to drive? I think it's a bit of both. Um, you know, many um, environmental groups who are working on plastics issues right now are in communication with these big consumer brands, and they know that this is a problem. They're aware that they need to change. I think they just need a bit more pressure from consumers to make the change as quickly as we want to see it happen. My guest is uh, Lisa Ramsden from Greenpeace. She is a senior plastics campaigner. Lisa, what <laughs> what is a senior plastics campaigner? <laughs> um, uh, it is someone who thinks about the plastic crisis all day, every day, and is trying to figure out ways that we can reduce single-use plastics across the world. I, I just haven't ever seen that on a jobs site. <laughs> how, did, how did you end up getting involved with Greenpeace? 
Um, you know, I studied environmental science in college and just knew that advocacy was the right route for me and found, was lucky to find Greenpeace right when I graduated college and um, kind of stuck around with them ever since. Um, and, and finally, um, I, I want to talk a little bit more about consumers and how they can get active about that, uh, about this, um, can you convince consumers to give up the ease and convenience of uh, single-use plastic containers for, you know, everything from hand sanitizer to soft drinks and and uh, so on? Um, are they ready to make these changes, or um, are you focusing on the on the companies more? because you can have a bigger impact if one of the companies says, you know what, we're not going to do plastic bottles anymore. We are focusing on the companies because we feel like it is their job to fix this problem that they've created. It's, you know, they're not making it easy for us to avoid single-use plastic. I'm a person who thinks about plastic all the time, and I don't want to use plastics, but it's impossible sometimes. Um, that's why we're focusing on these companies because they're the ones producing all this plastic. Um, and it's, yeah, so I believe that consumers can help drive this switch by demanding that they they create refill and reuse options for us. But it, it needs to come down to these companies. And, again, these are billion-dollar companies. They are constantly innovating we, we know that they can do this. They just need to put a little bit more effort into it, and I feel like the change could come really quickly. For fast food places um, and, and restaurants, um, you were talking about plastic containers versus, uh, versus glass, but what about paper? Is, yeah. is paper and, and cardboard better than, say, styrofoam and plastic? So it depends on what metric you're talking about. Um, paper and cardboard can biodegrade in the environment way faster than plastic or styrofoam. So in that regard, it is much better. But if we were to switch overnight from all plastic products to all paper products, it would be devastating for our world's forests. And forests are huge in combating climate change as well. Um, so that's really why we're afraid of companies trying to switch from one single-use um, product to another because it will just put a strain on a different part of our natural environment. And that's really why we want to move away from single-use altogether and switch to reusable um, products instead. But has that always been the um, uh, reason behind the paper plastic debate I, I remember for years going through grocery store checkouts and being asked paper or plastic mm -hmm. um it, is it about the um the disposal uh, of those things when we're done with them yeah i think i think that is the the main bit there because again paper can biodegrade really quickly in you know compost bins or in the environment and plastic sticks around for centuries. 
Well, Lisa, I appreciate you taking time to uh, talk about this report. It's a new report from Greenpeace titled The Climate Emergency Unpacked. And uh, my guest, Lisa Ramsden, is a senior plastics campaigner with Greenpeace. Lisa, um, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. And I imagine Greenpeace is is probably as good a place as any to start. But um, can you share that uh, that website and any other resources where people might uh, learn more about this? Yeah, thank you for asking that. Um, feel free to go to greenpeace.org. We've got all of our reports, all of our information on there, and we're also on all the social media channels. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for spending this time with me, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Take care. You too. And that was uh, Lisa Ramsden, uh, a senior plastics campaigner with Greenpeace. They've just completed a new report called The Climate Emergency Unpacked, where they focus on uh, uh, companies uh, like Coke and Pepsi and Nestle's and others um, that uh, work with the fossil fuel industry in basically expanding plastic production and and efforts and suggestions on on how to maybe decrease that or slow it down and and with that um well we have to we have to go to break we'll have more of the tom sumner program straight ahead When a virus comes along that's spreading like a plague And POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well Unless you want to bid our free society farewell There is a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus And if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us In a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July A super bad transmittable contagious awful virus And if you got a better cough in your arm And if you got a better <coughs> Now back in 1918 influenza had its run But half the docks were busy overseas with World War One. Today we have mass media and scientists to say If you don't want this virus well then stay six feet away Super damn important that we practice isolation cause we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation will overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation it's super damn important that we practice isolation if we don't do it then we're all gonna die if we don't do it then we're all gonna die and so i hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart cause it's already scary and we're only at the start if you get bored just think of the immunocompromised who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized oh super bad transmittable contagious awful virus if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine the last until july a super bad transmittable Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago 
with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, attorney general stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen. We just have to send them $200 in edible arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for edible arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
Another five-minute mystery. Our story takes place in Green's Gap, a small town in the Southern Cavern District. Green's Gap Hospital, Dr. Melville speaking. Doctor, doctor, there's been an accident out at Echo Cavern. Accident? What kind of accident? Two men were exploring and they got lost last night. One's unconscious. You better come quick before he's dead. I hope you know how to get out to Echo Cavern, Len. Well, with the job of being town constable and ambulance driver, I reckon I know all there is to know about these parts. Ever been in the cavern, Len? Once, Doc Melville, when I was a boy. Nearly got my hide tanned off by my paw. Echo Cavern's a mighty treacherous place. You mean it's easy to get lost in it? Not only that, Doc. It's that cavern gas carbine. Mm, something. You mean carbon dioxide? Yeah, that's it. All of a sudden, you run into some of that stuff, and before you know it, bing, you're out. Still, people seem to be going uh, exploring in there. More fools to be. I wouldn't go into them caverns, at least till I was not without a dog. A dog? What for? Well, if a dog keels over, then you know the gas is collecting. I'm afraid, Mr. Gaddy, your friend is dead. Oh, poor Patsy. It wasn't from the gas, was it, Doc? That's what it looks like to me. Why'd you go into that cavern anyway? Patsy asked me to. We'd never seen a cave before. How far did you go in? Well, it didn't seem very far, but all of a sudden we lost our way. Where was that? Well, how do I know whereabouts it was if we was lost? We tried to trace our way back, but it was no use. Patsy started to get scared. It's kind of funny to see a big guy like that get scared. Yeah, he is rather big, isn't he? Yeah, six foot four. The mob used to call us Mutt and Jeff. And then what happened? Well, I was a little scared myself, but we stuck together. You know, walking in the dark with only my flash from the car. All of a sudden, Pat's keeled over. From the gas? Yeah, that's what I figured. His head hit on a rock, and I guess that just about finished him off. I suppose you reckon yourself pretty lucky, mister. Yeah, sure. I figure it's because I'm only five foot three that I got out of there alive. Gas must have been just about a foot over my head. Yeah? And what do you think about that, Doc Melville? I think you better arrest Mr. Gotti for the murder of his friend Patsy. What was the flaw in Gaddy's story? Do you know it? In a moment, we'll hear from Lem and Dr. Melville. And now, let's see whether you're as observant as Lem and the doctor. Hey, copper, let me put my hands down. They're tired. When you're in Green Gap's jail, not before. I don't get it. It was a good story. I still can't figure out how you found out. Lem tells me they used to take dogs in the cavern because the gas is heavier than air. It collects on the floor. If you really meant gas, you would have keeled over first, before your pal Patsy. Well, what do you know? I tell you, nowadays in this murder racket, you need a college education. Another five-minute mystery. This five-minute mystery featured the voices of Rhonda Groves Young, Randy Zimmerman, Sean Cantwell, and yours truly, Tom Sumner. Stay tuned to the Tom Sumner Program for future mini-mysteries.
Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 